you don't know me, my name's David, um, I'm part of the team here at Community Church, and um, yes, we're doing the uh, service of God of work, talking about um, the impact God has on our nights five of daily life. And so, what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about uh, what I do for a job, and um, how um, my faith impacts on that, and then we're going to look a little bit like I said about the story of Prodigal Son, and how sort of things, things of that sort of linking with what I do. So, You've all seen the nice big slice picture for that. <laughs> so, when, um, when I was about uh, 15, um, I can't really remember the exact time or the exact evening of that service, but I know that God spoke to me very clearly about this uh, verse in the end of John uh, where Peter is talking to Jesus. And uh, uh, Jesus says to Peter, Do you not believe? And he says, Yes, of course you do. Okay. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. And then he says, Look after my sheep and look after my sheep as well. And I'm not sure theologically where, where what this is, but for me, God spoke very clearly to me um, that my, he wanted me to work with young people. And uh, that he said to be the lambs first, that was what I took out of that. And so that's really been my career. I um, thought I was going to be a teacher, um, but that didn't happen, so I changed my mind. I did some youth work um, with uh, Youth Christ, and then the council, and then I was supposed to be a and then went to office for a bit, which is not very exciting. And then I went and worked um, in a young defense institute. So working with 15 to 18 year olds in prison. So I thought that'd be a really great way of uh, having a positive influence on young people. Turns out it wasn't that amazing. Basically I was a qualified security guard making sure they didn't sort of fight each other. So that yeah, it wasn't really my thing and I was not interested involved in involved in So I went on training as a probation officer. Um, the thought that I would think I work with the youth vending team, and I was a probation officer for about 10 years, but I remember the whole theory was that I was going to go and work with the youth vending team. So I then moved across and worked with the youth vending team, and that's where I work at the moment. When I tell people that um, I work for the yachts, most people think of this. <laughs> um, they don't think of that, sometimes they think of that. Um, but actually, my day to day life is more like that. Which is <laughs> a very boring office in the centre of town. So, um, the youth event team, although actually we've just rebranded the youth justice service now, um, because they're trying to take away the thing out of our name, and um, as part of that kind of trying to label young people. Um, so, uh, we work with uh, 10 to 18 year olds, and I actually manage the team that was after the South area of Bristol, and I work with people that have um, been in trouble with the law, and so they're either um, having a caution or uh, sort of community sentence working with the law, all the way up to people that have been in prison, um, and so a really wide variety of um, things that happen to these young people, right through quite sort of relatively minor antisocial behaviour, all the way up through to sort of very serious offences that um, you can think of and work with those young people. Um, and we try and um, build positive relationships with them, and try and help them to think about how they can stay safe, and how they can not hurt other people, and how they can sort of achieve their potential. Um, sometimes how they can make amendments uh, for what they've done, and we work with them around their education, the housing, the family, what sort of issues, and drugs, and weapons, and gangs, all sorts of rights. Actually, I don't actually get to do much of that anymore, unfortunately. Um, but the team that I manage does all that really interesting work, and I do lots of kind of signing reports. Really interesting stuff. Just really quickly, um, these are sort of our people to work with. About 80 to 85 percent of them are male. Boys, 35% are white at the moment. There was a black, which is quite interesting because that's uh, disproportionate to the sort of population 
when the British does a whole a high proportion of black and mixed-race young people on our case rate compared to British as a whole. Generally, 10 to 18 year olds, most of them kind of 15, 16, 17, are kind of key um, ages. Occasionally, we get some 10 year olds through um, their bit of Shall I just stand and read this? Only about 30% of women for time education, um, which obviously is not good. Um, much higher rates of ADHD and speech and language communication needs than the current general population. Um, often undiagnosed before they come to us, we have a speech and language therapist who works with us. And she says a lot of young people, well, the majority of people that she works with, are the women who first to her, which is kind of subsidizing have um, speech and language needs that haven't been identified previously in schools, often because they've not been in school for a long time. And a large proportion have high rates of what we call adverse childhood experiences, which are things that happen to young people and their families that are growing up and have a huge impact on, on them. Um, who are they? They're brilliant, um, they're creative, they're capable of change, uh, they're ambitious, they're funny, and um, they love my God. And they're also annoying and irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Frustrating, late, and occasionally rude, and sometimes aggressive. Um, but they're loved by God. Um, interesting, I've been thinking about um, this sort of scene, and some of the language we use as well. It's quite similar sort of church sort of um, language. So we talk a lot about their journey, um, about uh, where they're going to, um, their kind of identity change, we talk about uh, we talk a little bit about forgiveness when it comes to the restorative practices and have um, restorative justice conferences with victims, um, talk about having fresh starts, um, talk about restoration, about bringing them back to um, where they could be, um, talk about a lot about their potential um, and this I love this, we talk about unconditional positive regard which is a, a kind of a, a, it's a sort of is what it's, it's what it says. Particularly when working with young people who have significant trauma histories, having that really clear, unconditional positive regard. So loving them, we can say love to the local authority. <laughs> <laughs> loving them, um, what a, having an unconditional love for them. So yeah, there's, a, there's quite a lot of that that's in this when we think about sort of church and faith journeys. And so, I'm just going to talk a little bit about that when we look at the um, story of the, the prodigal son and share a few thoughts about and we'll see how long it's <laughs> Right, so this is a picture um, that hangs on the wall of the chapel in Ashfield, which is the young men's institute that I worked at. Um, and it's a picture of the prodigal son um, and the father, and uh, there's sort of a summary in the back, and that's on the back wall of the church um, at Ashfield. And um, I don't know how many of them people played it, um, but I think it's quite powerful starting point for their, sort of their experience at church and when they were in the prison. Um, so we're going to look at that story very quickly. Um, so, um, so Jesus continued, if you're talking, no one talking. There was a man who had two sons. Uh, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of his sons. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pulse that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
They came to his senses. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father said, The father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe of the son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kids. Let's have a fest feast and celebrate. And the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. So he began to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called all the servants and asked them what was going on. The brother is coming, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and came with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your voice. It should never be even a young goat, so I can celebrate my friends. It's quite fast. But when this son of yours has squandered your property, the prostitutes come to you, you kill the fat of the calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me, everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate every man, because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's in Luke 15, verses 11, not just being to Maybe you tell that a long story. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> 23. <laughs> um, so, um, we work with young people who've made mistakes. Um, some of those mistakes are pretty minor, um, some are pretty severe impact on them and other people. Some are uh, one-off lapses of judgment, some are part of learned behaviours or development habits, some are self-conscious reactions to their circumstances, um, some are deliberate choices. And we work with people to understand their behaviour and ideally not do it again, um, and to be able to respond differently next time, um, to consider other people to make good choices. Um, but for the people we work with, there are still consequences. Um, now, in this story, the father's uh, welcome back. Um, by his father with open arms. But there are going to be small going consequences for that son. Um, he's lost his inheritance. Um, he's, he doesn't have that status anymore or so. The older brother is pretty fixated on that. Um, but the father in the story is just happy uh, for the son's home. From the outside, from the bypass, probably for the servants, it looks like the son has lost out. Um, he's got no money or claim, no status. But his father still calls him son. So his identity um, was not found in money or job or status or in the eyes of others, um, but because of his relationship to his father. And our identity is not found in money or jobs or status or in the eyes of others, um, but in our relationship with God. Um, his identity was never lost. He was always his son. Um, even when he didn't want to be. Um, we are who we are. We are children of God. Um, you can't change your identity with God. You can't change how he sees you. Um, he will always run to you. Um, you can't do anything about that to change him. You can't hand it in, you can't trade it up. You can't let it out, you can't forget to renew it. Um, you can't swap it for something else. 
You are a child of God, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and Romans talks about this as, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That happens to Not redundancy, not promotion, not worry or confidence, not power or failures, not mistakes, not successes, not feeding pigs, not wearing the best robes. The son, in that story, was a son before he left. He was a son while he was away, and he was a son when he returned. Um, but there was something that changed for him. Um, so as I said earlier, we talk we work with young people, we try and help them to change, um, to um, make better choices, to make fresh starts. Um, we have something called the trauma recovery model, um, which is a way that we work with young people who've got really significant trauma history. And that talks about, and it's not really relevant to quite, uh, it talks about growing up as being about little people learning how to be people from big people. Um, which isn't really relevant at all, but I quite like it as a sort of joke. Um, but we look at uh, these young people and we think about their history and the trauma, what's happened to them and how things that have happened to them as they've grown up impact the decisions that they make now. And I think that's really relevant to us as well. Because actually how the things that have happened to us are upbringing about Nancy talked last week about her experience and her history and her childhood rather than being a pioneer of her family impacts down on her faith and how she sees her faith and her role. And actually, what's happened to us and in our past, our family, within our church, our friends, impacts our relationship with God. And I think we also need to maybe think about how as a church that we welcome people who had a different history with church than we have done. How can we be open and welcome as a church family to people who've got a different experience in life. And I think maybe that initial positive regard is probably a good place to start. And along with some other principles about consistency and transparency. Um, so the good news about that though um, is that while it's important to understand that history, we're not bound by it. Um, so we, when we talk about young people, we understand where they've come from. Um, but they're not, they're not fixed by that now, they've still got a chance to change. And that's what we do with uh, young people at work, and I think the same with us. We may feel um, that we have dirt the world on us from being in the pits, um, but the Father still runs to us. And sometimes we wonder about what happened afterwards with that son. You know, um, you know, surely he started working with the Father that man whilst he feel guilty about that. What's the relationship with the brother? I still want the next bit of the story there, but I want to find out what happens next. I want the sequel. Um, but, uh, but the son in that story was changed, and that change was about his understanding, about his identity as a son. Actually, there's a ton of stories in the Bible about people changing when they meet Jesus, and we talked about them a little bit here, the universe of the past. Um, there's lots of stories about healings, where Jesus met with people, and they were changed as a result. Um, there's Paul, um, he also wrote a lot of letters, met with Jesus and changed. Zacchaeus, um, the story from the Bible in Luke about a man who was cheating, he met with Jesus and changed. 
and there will be consequences for those wise people as well. I do wonder also, I imagine there are some people Jesus met that didn't change. Um, and again, it would be nice to hear their stories sometimes. <laughs> but we know about the, the rich young ruler that's called in, in Mark who, who met with Jesus and was challenged but, but wasn't able to, to make that change that Jesus sort of called him. Life kind of hope that maybe one day he did. Um, how, how do we change? So we are thinking a few things. I think we meet with Jesus. And I think we accept who Jesus is, and we accept who we are. So, um, just to sort of summarize it, the sign of the story, um, had an encounter with the Father, which changed his life and brought him back to who he was. The people who met Jesus in the Bible had their lives changed, and they found our identity as followers. I think when we encounter Jesus, our lives are changed, and we can discover our identity as children of God. God already knows who we are. Sometimes we're a bit slow to catch on. But we are who we are, children of God. So if you, uh, if you feel fatigued uh, and you're still sad with this, um, or, or, or that you're far from home, uh, my encouragement to you is this, um, that you are a child of God. And that your loving Father has his arms open wide. We're going to uh, pray, and we're going to have a chance to have a chat about some of those things. Um, yeah, Father God, thank you. Um, <coughs> thank you that you love us. Thank you that, um, that uh, you are your children. Our identity is secure. It's not reliant on our understanding of our actions, but it's reliant on you as our well. And I pray, Father, that as we, as we think about that, about what that impact that has on how we live our lives and how we treat other people. And we just remind us of those things and um, yeah, really clear to respond.